Cowboys ain't supposed to cry That must have been a lie On the day we laid you down I wiped a million tears aside I can't believe you're gone Good morning, good morning, good morning, sweet, beautiful Texas and beyond. Scotty Thurman, Cowboys ain't supposed to cry, kicking things off for us on the Lone Star Outdoors show, powered by Dallas Safari Club. I'm your host, Cable Smith. Uh, Thanks to our presenting sponsors, Lone Star Beer and Hoff Power Polaris. It is great to be here talking, hunting, fishing, the great outdoors, and all that implies with you fine folks today. Thanks for uh, stopping down and taking a part of your week to enjoy the great outdoors with me and we've got a great show lined up for you i'm going to tell you all about it here momentarily but first man i hope that each and every one of you are having the season of your lives i mean geez it's been a good one for me although uh battling these acorns has been very challenging this season uh of course i mean we hunt over corn in texas it's uh it's no different than hunting a cornfield in iowa in my opinion I always get tickled when people knock uh, other hunters for for hunting over an artificial food source. It's like you're still hunting over a food source if you're hunting acorns, you're hunting a a 200-acre cornfield or soybeans, or if you've uh, planted a food plot. You are hunting over a food source. It's the same concept. We hunt animals where they eat on a regular basis. And, uh, And I'll tell you, I've hunted them over corn this year, and have had essentially zero luck. And then I've hunted them over acorns. Uh, But I'll tell you this, the thing about why it's been so challenging, especially as a bow hunter with the acorns, is every tree looks just as good as the next one. I mean, there are so many acorns on the ground that it is mind-blowing. And so where to hang stands has been uh, a real trick, uh, to say the least, because uh, my brother and I were trying to get him a doe last weekend, Tried the feeder, had no luck. Tried another feeder, not a, nothing's coming in. There's a pile of corn under there. So we sat under a tree one morning, and it was abundantly clear as acorn after acorn has fallen and hitting me on top of the head as to why hunters are having a hard time. Uh, you know, traditionally, where animals come to bait, they're just not doing it this year. And that's not just in Texas or Oklahoma or the South. I mean, I've read a bunch of uh, reports and, and listened to a few other outdoor shows where folks, even in the Midwest, are, are dealing with the same issue. It's truly been a, a banner year for mast crop, you know, acorns. And so hopefully you've stuck with it and, and put some venison in the freezer. And, and where I've had the most success this season is with scent-based attractants and rattling. So, I mean, that's where I've seen the majority of, uh, of my deer show up. So try something different. Uh, main thing is just stick with it, and it won't be long until those acorns start to rot anyway. So maybe you hunt in South Texas where acorns don't even exist. Uh, man, that might just be my favorite place to hunt in the whole world. Open senderos, um, that mesquite brush, and, uh, you know, tons and tons of deer. But uh, anyway, hey, we've got a great show lined up for you this morning, so you know what to do. Pull up that stool a little closer to the campfire. Pour yourself another cup of coffee because we are ready to rock and roll. Off the top, we're going to talk some white-tailed deer uh, with Texas Parks and Wildlife white-tailed deer program leader Alan Kane. I recently came across a report that Crossman Corp. had filed a petition with Texas Parks and Wildlife to try to change some regulations that would allow big bore air rifles and the controversial airbow 
to become legal means of take for white-tailed deer. Well, okay, first of all, I'm concerned about the killing power, the lethality of these big bore air rifles. Texas Parks and Wildlife uh, recently conducted their own study on how effective at killing these air rifles are. So uh, we'll, we'll get Alan's take on that. And then also this air bow. I mean, it's really a gun. That's what it is. They call it a bow because it shoots an arrow, but it's a gun. Make no mistake about it. So what season will Texas Parks and Wildlife allow that weapon to be used? Uh, we've we've got to figure that out as well because I can tell you right now as a bow hunter, I will be pissed if that thing's allowed during archery season because it isn't a bow. I don't care if it shoots an arrow. Uh, anyway, so I'll get off my high horse there. We'll get into it more with Alan here momentarily. Then our old friend and uh, renowned author, wild game chef Hank Shaw will drop in and we'll get into the do's and don'ts of butchering. Also, We'll spend a lot of time on dry aging venison. Is it worth doing? How should you go about dry aging your venison? You know, walk into a steakhouse and drop 150 bucks on a dry aged steak. What about with venison? I mean, uh, I'm curious. Something I've never done, but it's uh, it's intriguing. And then also wet aging. Uh, I'm sure some of y'all have tried that as well. Plus, Hank's got some insight on how a lot of us mistreat our venison uh, once we put it in the cooler. And I'm talking about your ice chest. Uh, so we will get into butchering, dry aging, wet aging, all, the whole nine yards coming up here with Hank momentarily. Uh, and uh, then at the bottom of the hour, we'll shift gears, talk a little fishing with longtime guide and North Carolina blue catfish record holder, Zach Royce. Uh, he routinely pulls 80-plus pounders over the rail, and he knows where to find those big wintertime blues and how to catch them. Uh, so we'll talk tackle, water temps, bait, and a whole lot more with Zach coming up at the bottom of the hour. That's what's on the docket for today. It's going to be a good one. Uh, I'm glad that you are here to share it with me because if you guys and gals don't tune in, then, uh, hey, I'm really just talking to myself. <laughs> uh, so thanks for being here. Uh, let's do a quick, uh, giveaway. Oh, wait, wait, wait. I got to tell you today's your last day to get your November photo of the month submission in. We've got the Lone Star Outdoor Edition Bison Cooler 50 quart, like a $350 value here that we are giving away to this month's winner. So email me your best hunting or fishing photo. Better yet, post it on our Facebook page wall or use that LSOS photo contest hashtag on Instagram. We'll get you entered. And then our 12 monthly winners, We'll square off at the end of 2017 for a chance to hunt trophy axis deer or black buck with me down at Coons Canyon Ranch in Rock Springs, Texas. So another great grand prize hunt package brought to you by Coons Canyon Ranch. And you've only got two more months, so November and December, uh, to win in order to be entered into uh, the grand prize final photo of the year contest. So get those photos in. Uh, let's do a quick giveaway. Uh, Lone Star Beer just hooked me up with like literally 500 camo Lone Star caps. And I'm going to give away, I'll give a family pack away. I'll give five Lone Star Beer camo caps away, plus a Lone Star Outdoors show sticker. And we'll throw in a Havilon knife. Why not? So it's, hey, it's almost, it's Christmas season, right? Thanksgiving's over. We can talk about Christmas now. So a great uh, prize pack. 
We'll give it away to the third person to text in the words dry aged. That's dry aged to 214-289-7807. You could win today's prize pack just by texting in. Let's take a break. Up next, the Airbow and Big Bore Air Rifles. Do they have a place in the future of Texas whitetail deer hunting? We discuss next with Texas Parks and Wildlife's Alan Kane right here on the Lone Star Outdoors Show. You can always call Old friend Lord you can't find Hey y'all, Cable here for Three Curl Outfitters and whether you want to bow hunt hogs or get after them with thermal imaging and night vision under the cover of darkness, Three Curl has you covered. They've got the latest and greatest thermal imaging and night vision technology. They hunt unlimited, I mean just thousands upon thousands of acres of ag fields or if you're a bow hunter and you want to sit in a stand and wait for the hog to come to you, uh, they can do that as well. Check it out, 3curl.com to book your next hog hunt. Hi, I'm Craig Boddington. I'd like to invite you to become a member of Dallas Safari Club, one of the world's leading hunting and conservation organizations. As a member, you'll receive Game Trails magazine, a monthly newsletter, and invitations to our monthly meetings and special activities. Join Dallas Safari Club an international organization based in Dallas, supporting hunting and conservation worldwide. For more information, call 800-9-GO-HUNT or visit our website at www.biggame.org. Howdy folks, I'm Lee Hoffbear for Hoffbear's Outdoor Superstore in Gulfway, Texas. I hope you're enjoying the Lone Star Outdoor Show. We've been a title sponsor for a number of years now, and we're proud to be a part of it. I'd also like to thank you for making Hoffbear's once again the number one Polaris dealer in Texas. Please keep buying your Polaris products from us. Send us your friends, your neighbors, all your hunting buddies, and I promise we'll keep giving the best deals on a brand new Polaris in all of Texas. Whether you're looking for a Polaris for work or play, whether you need a regular Ranger or maybe a Ranger Crew, an RZR, they've got an all-new Ace that you need to come test drive. We've also got four-wheelers from a youth model all the way up to the all-new Sportsman 1000. For your Polaris headquarters, Hoff Powers Outdoor Superstore in Gulfway, Texas is who you need to see all or get on the web and contact today. You can check us out at hpolaris.com. That's H's in Hoff Power, polaris.com. Or you can come see us at Highway 84 West in Gulfway, Texas. And folks, Hoff Powers has been in Central Texas for over 50 years now, and we couldn't have stuck around this long if we were steering you wrong. Hey, this is Michael Hunsucker with Heartland Bow Hunter. Thank you for listening to the Lone Star Outdoor Show. I'm old enough to know that that ain't country. That's a natural fact. It's full of tales of good times and happy endings. My life ain't like that. So I'll keep listening to the old songs. And my That's the Lone Star Outdoor Show's very own Aaron Lewis bringing us back. <laughs> that ain't country. One of my favorites there. I'm Cable Smith, and you're listening to the Lone Star Outdoor Show, powered by Dallas Safari Club, thanks to Lone Star Beer and Hoff Power Polaris as well. Uh, we are all set to talk some whitetail deer with Alan Kane, our Texas Parks and Wildlife whitetail deer program leader. We're going to get into the Airbow and Big Boar air rifles. But before we do that, this segment of the presentation brought to you by Dallas Safari Club, the worldwide leader in big game conservation. I'd like to invite you to get plugged in with this great group of people who are passionate about big game conservation, hunters' rights, and education. Check us out at biggame.org. You'll be glad you did. All right. Well, like I said earlier, 
Uh, I was reading this report about Texas Parks and Wildlife possibly allowing big bore air rifles and that dirty, filthy air bow uh, to be allowed as legal means of take for white-tailed deer. And, and let me say, I don't have anything against the air bow. seems like a cool weapon, right? But it's not a bow. And when people want to call it archery gear or a, an archery weapon, I just kind of laugh because it's a gun. So with that being said, <laughs> uh, y'all can tell how I feel about it. It is my pleasure to welcome back our old friend and Texas Parks and Wildlife's Alan Kane. Thanks for being here. Good to be back, Cable. It is my pleasure. My pleasure. Hope you had a, a great Thanksgiving. I did. Uh, we took my son hunting a little bit, bow hunting, and uh, we didn't have any luck, but that's uh, how it's been. Uh, it's been a little warm down here in South Texas, so hopefully things cool down in the next uh, month. Yeah. Well, yeah, that's great. You got your son out. Uh, I took my brother up to uh, my lease in Oklahoma, and he shot his first doe, but I tell you what, it was tough because you know, at one point we were just sitting under a tree, and I i mean, we were just getting hit on the head, you know, acorn after acorn, so... <laughs> Yeah, it's been a exceptional year for acorns, not only in Oklahoma, but just definitely in Texas. I know spoke to a lot of hunters from the hill country and, mm -hmm. and over in that post oak savannah area that also seen lots of acorns too, making yeah. it a little tough to find a deer. Oh sure, sure. Well, so we had to go out and you know actually spot and stalk a little bit, which made for a more exciting hunt. But you know under the feeders just piles of corn. That's, nothing was touching it. So uh, it'll change as soon as it starts to get colder, though. I guarantee you that. Yep. Yeah, hopefully we get a couple of freezes and uh, sour those acorns so the deer start coming to the corn. Mm -hmm. Well, so, uh, Alan, how long have you been working with and, and studying white-tailed deer? Oh, wow. I've been with the the Texas Parks and Wildlife Department for 17 years. I've been in my current job as white-tailed deer program leader for uh, going on seven years now. And so um, pretty good while specifically on white-tailed deer. I guess my whole career, I guess you could say, I've been uh, studying deer, so uh, over 20 years probably. Right, right. Oh, and we've had some good discussions over the years on everything from antler restrictions to CWD and this, that, and the other. Uh, but in your time with Texas Parks and Wildlife, what would you say has been the biggest change in hunting regulations for white-tailed deer? Wow. Um, probably the most significant change for hunting regulations that affects counties would be the antler restrictions. Uh -huh. It's in 117 counties across the state, and and that that has been a very successful regulation to shift the age structure to you know where the majority of the harvest is three and a half or older, and that's our intended goal, and, and it's been very successful. And I, overall, hunters are are happy with it. You know, there's always a few folks that are a little upset with the those particular restriction regulations, but um, in general, folks are very happy with that that regulation mm -hmm. and the results from it. Oh yeah, yeah. Well, and there's always that buck. It's the narrow racked mature buck that's going to slip through the cracks. But um, you know, it's kind of like collateral damage. It's for for the greater good. We're seeing a lot more um, trophy quality animals come out of, especially East Texas, as we've shifted from the if it's brown, it's down mentality to more of a you know, at least people are cognizant of management at this point. Sure. You know, and part of the, as part of that antler restriction, we also allow folks to harvest spike antler bucks. And we know on average through research that um, they're going to produce smaller antlers. So folks take advantage of that bucks, um, spike buck tag and harvest those 
spikes, then you're less likely to see, you know, these mature bucks that have narrow racks don't meet the antler antler restriction criteria. But in fact, you know, through our age and antler surveys over the years, there's only about, you know, between five and 9% of those bucks that don't meet that antler restriction criteria by three and a half, and it gets even smaller when they get older. Mm -hmm. So, Mm -hmm. No doubt, no doubt. Well, I'm certainly a supporter of them. There's no no doubt about that. I believe they do work. Um, But shifting gears here, I, I was reading the latest Lone Star Outdoor News and, and came across a topic I found very interesting regarding possible regulation changes as far as legal means of take for the 2018-2019 whitetail season. Um, currently, air rifles and air bows are, are not legal means of take for Texas deer hunters. That's correct. Okay. And, and so I guess essentially this petition has been filed by Crossman Corp uh, to change that. And, you know... I read that and I was like, well, of course, Crossman is going to be the one filing the petition because they're the largest manufacturer of these weapons. So, yeah, they want to sell more of them and they want them legalized. So that makes sense. Um, And then I guess you guys had conducted a study on their effectiveness. I I would like to know how that study was uh, conducted and and the results that it produced. So good question, Cable. We... uh... Crossman's the one that originally filed the petition, as you mentioned, and we had them come down in August to uh, one of our wildlife management areas and and bring their air bow and big bore air rifle. It was a three fifty seven caliber, and we just shot it um, targets, at, you know, fifty sixty yards um, with those. And um, and their big bore air rifle definitely packs a, a punch. It wasn't as much as I was expecting, but it, I mean, it shot through a, a you know, probably quarter inch or eighth inch metal, probably eighth inch metal plated about 50 yards, you know, um, it shoots a, a lead cast bullet. Uh, they're manufactured by different folks out there. Mm-hmm. I think Hornady actually made this bullet, but it was a good gun. But, uh, as the summer went on after that, and, and even earlier in the summer before we got to do some research with the Crossman. I had some other individuals in the state of Texas um, reach out to me. They were very interested in this once they heard Crossman was uh, uh, had filed this petition for rulemaking requests, and then these other folks were interested too. And rather than filing their own requests, they just said, "Hey, we'd like to provide a demo too." And so um, there's a fellow named Eric Henderson. Um, he has um, he works with Air Force Texan or Air Force Texas, I believe. They're a, a air gun dealer manufacturer mm-hmm. here in Texas, in North Texas there. And Eric agreed to, to come down and bring his uh, air rifles, big bore air rifles. He had a 308 caliber and a 45 caliber, I believe, and uh, brought those down. And, and we actually had a ranch here in South Texas that allowed us to come out and harvest a couple of uh, spike bucks with these air rifles and that's what i wanted to see is how it performed in the field because there's always a little skepticism you and i growing up we shot the 177 you know caliber pellet guns and mm-hmm. squirrels and whatever other critters we found to, to get into trouble with but um, these these are big caliber air rifles much different than what folks are used to and so we wanted to see how that performed and so we went out to a ranch in south texas and uh I was able to successfully harvest two spike uh, bucks with a 308 caliber mm-hmm. big bore air rifle at 120 yards. Uh, first shot, first deer, both were one shot harvest. Uh, first buck, um, he hit him square through the shoulders and 
I was surprised at how much damage that bullet did. Um, and it went through. Tra- the, it went all the way through. It didn't exit. Um, okay. It went through. It went through both shoulders and, and stuck on the other side of the skin. But mm. I've seen that happen with plenty of centerfire That's rifles. That's pretty good as well. penetration. So yeah, and it completely broke both bones in the shoulders and you know hit the front part of the lungs and, and punched a hole through there. But it did a lot of damage. They don't. These bullets don't traditionally expand um, like you see centerfire rifle bullets, especially those at higher velocities. But uh, they definitely pack a punch and then um i was able to harvest another one the same distance about 120 yards and it ran um about 70 yards and he just cratered there uh-huh. um and hit him and kind of in the the front part of the neck there and just um damaged the you know the the veins there and he bled out really so two quickly and, distinctly different shot placements just for uh yeah yeah. Yes, and then in fact, our uh, one of our law enforcement officials that helps me, Ellis Powell, on our wildlife uh, law administration part of part of the regulation stuff, he was there and he harvested spike buck. Actually, shot him a little high in the spine and dropped him um, like anything else. And mm. so they do; they're effective. Um, it you know 100, 120 yards, probably 130, 40 yards. I would definitely think they're effective and. And it's like I tell people, we don't have the only regulation we have is that you have to harvest big game animals with a centerfire uh, caliber or centerfire firearm. Mm-hmm. And so uh, you can't use rimfire um, or fully automatic weapons. But that allows, because of centerfire, that allows people to essentially harvest white-tailed deer with a 32 Smith and Wesson pistol or a, you know something very small caliber. Two, two, three. Um, has yeah, I mean, something that has uh, slower velocities than what we may normally expect out of a centerfire rifle mm-hmm. or a smaller bullet weight or muzzle velocity, which would be comparable to the uh, big bore air rifles. And so we brought a, commission, or a proposal forward to our commission in Lubkin in November, and uh Staff didn't see any biological reason not to allow this. It's effective at harvesting uh, whitetail deer, and it's comparable to other firearms that we allow uh, hunters to use to take whitetail deer, whether it's a pistol or rifle or muzzleloader. And so um, the commission didn't have any major concerns, so we're going to be bringing back uh, in January the official proposal that goes out You know, once it it's approved. It'll go to the Texas Register. Then folks can comment. Then we'd come back in March, hopefully for adoption. Mm-hmm. Okay, and that would these uh, these big bore air rifles would only be allowed during gun season. Um, That's correct. Yeah. And, and the big in the air bows. Um, Crossman's the only one I know that makes an air bow, but it would be legal during that uh, general gun season or you know like the special late uh, season. Um, or MLD season. Okay, yeah, that that was when I was reading this. I had had no problem with any of it until I saw that word airbow, and I was like, oh boy, okay, are we heading down the same path as when we allowed crossbows and you know all of the all of the archery guys were up in arms and you know before that it was the tra- traditional guys got up in arms and we allowed compound bows. It never ends. There's always something new. But I've seen this airbow, um, and to me, it just looks like a gun that shoots an arrow. It doesn't look like you know, you're not pulling anything back. Uh, and so that was kind of what I was like, oh, this just doesn't seem like it's a fair shake if we're talking about archery season. Uh, so that was going to be my next question was, what about the airbow? 
it, um, yes, it would be legal during the general season or like our special late season when you can use a firearm. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And uh, for your in for the reasons you listed, I mean, the air bow is not technically a bow defined, you know, as we define archery equipment, you know. Um, and so we wouldn't allow uh, harvest during archery season with the air bow. It would be restricted to those other seasons there. Yeah. I mean, it's got, uh, I don't know the feet per second, but it's flinging that arrow out there pretty quickly. And, you know, you put a scope on it and want to call it a bow, which I think originally Crossman wanted to do, reading some of their earlier comments. Um, you know, and, and I don't, once again, I don't blame Crossman because they want to sell these things. And, yeah, they're going to sell more of them if people could use them during archery season. But uh, to me, what I've seen, the demos, and, you know, it's just, it's not archery equipment. <laughs> right. Yeah. Uh, um, Okay, well that that pretty much answers my question on that front, um, and uh, and I'm glad that that was the answer that you gave because I was going to be like, whoa, there's going to be a lot of people that are unhappy if we're uh, if we're going to allow that. But obviously, you know, and you've got your finger on the pulse of of, uh, of people's opinions, and and I I wasn't surprised by your answer to say the least. So sure, yeah, sure. Um, okay, well, hey, Alan, uh, I know you've got to run to a meeting here, so. I certainly appreciate the conversation as always. It's great talking white-tailed deer with you. Uh, thanks for all you guys do to uh, to head up that uh, whitetail and, and big bass are what, what drive hunting and fishing in Texas. So uh, you guys are doing sure a great do. job, and we appreciate it. Well, we appreciate all you do, Cable, getting the, the messages out. Well, that is what I'm here for, brother. Call anytime, uh, and I'm happy to get the word out. I think we just lost Alan. Heard a little dial tone there in the background, but that segment was brought to you by Sendero Seed Company and Rudy's True Texas-style barbecue. Uh, Let's do this. Let's take a break. We'll come back and get into a little discussion on dry aging and wet aging your prime cuts of venison. So we'll dive into that with renowned wild game chef Hank Shaw up next right here on the Lone Star Outdoor Show. Kicking ass is getting old, taking names takes its toll On a worn out, busted, beat up soul like mine A rock steady point, a covey rises, over-unders ring out Cable here for White Rock Upland Birds, an outfit Bell and I have hunted with many times Whether you bring your bird dogs or use their polished pointers, hunting quail and pheasant on the White Rock Trophy Ranch is an experience to remember. Located 45 minutes from DFW in Italy, Texas, White Rock will waive the $150 guide fee if you mention the Lone Star Outdoors show. Plus, save $25 off any package if you bring your own dogs. So grab your buddies and shotguns and call 972-880-9068 today. Do you have a hog problem at your ranch or deer lease? We have the solution, the System Hog Trap comes in two sizes, 17-foot and 30-foot diameter traps. After you trap the hogs, take the top section off the trap and use it for another feeder site to keep the hogs away from the feeder. The system is both a trap and a deer food plot fence. That way you don't waste your money on just a hog trap. Call 940-391-3669 or visit www.goinfencing.com. That's goinfencing.com. Hey, North Texas sports fans, this is Brian Spagnola, General Manager of Texas Motor Cars in Addison. My family's been in the car business for over 50 years, and I want to show you the difference in buying from a family-owned and operated business. TexasMotorCars.com is an awesome website that lets you do virtually all of your shopping online. We have a professional photographer that takes amazing photos, and we give you all the information that you'll need up front. 
You can even find out how much we will give you for your trade-in before you ever come in. I take pride in the fact you can come in, choose a car, and be out in less than an hour. We have financing rates starting at 1.79% on pre-owned vehicles and can help almost anybody. Please do yourself a favor. If you're in the market for a pre-owned vehicle of any kind, give us a shot. Let me show you how easy buying a vehicle should be. Visit TexasMotorCars.com or come visit our 20,000-square-foot indoor showroom in Addison. Again, visit TexasMotorCars.com or call us at 1-888-9-TX-MOTORS. Hey, y'all, Cable here for my good friends over at Outlaw Outfitters. This veteran-owned and operated outfit will put you on the ducks, to say the least. I've been hunting with them for, gosh, four or five years now. They also do uh, deer, hog, and turkey as well. They have over 15,000 acres they hunt in Collin, Grayson, and Fannin counties. Whether you want to do a turnkey, you know, one morning waterfowl hunt, or a complete weekend package with authentic Cajun cooking and lodging, it's all right there within an hour of the Metroplex, and you can find them at huntoutlaw.com. Hi, my name is Daryl Lee Rush, and I'm just proud to be here. Thanks for listening to the Lone Star Outdoor Show. I have run many a valley, and I have crawled the edge of the Arkaquan. I have held out. I have given as good as I've gotten, but I have not. All right, leaving Virginia, one of my favorites there from Daryl Lee Rush, bringing us back on the Lone Star Outdoor Show. Cable Smith riding shotgun with you today. Thank you for being here. I do appreciate it. Uh, thanks to Dallas Safari Club as well, our title sponsor. And uh, before we get into our next topic, uh, there's a there's a 12 year old boy out there. His name's Logan, and uh, he needs your prayers because last week his father took him to basically teach him how to shoot a gun, and he ended up shooting his father in the head and killing him. And this is a uh, this is actually a, a personal friend of my parents that was killed. So it hits close to home, uh, and of course, we are saddened by the loss of Daniel Bohr, but my thoughts, man, they are with this 12-year-old kid named Logan, and uh, he needs your thoughts and prayers because I don't know how you recover from something like that. Uh, it's going to take <laughs> uh, it's gonna take a miracle, I think. So uh, just keep him in your thoughts because he needs them. There's no doubt about that. Uh, okay. On a lighter note, we are all set to talk a little venison, what to do with it once you've got that animal on the ground. But before we do that, this segment brought to you by IOTA Outdoors. Check out the new IOTA Crux. Backcountry-friendly rifle stock weighs 27 ounces. It's what I've got on my Horizon 7 mag. Highly recommend it, and you can find it at iotaoutdoors.com. All right. Well, let's go ahead and talk a little venison. What to do with it? How to care for it? Once you've got that prized piece of meat on the ground, you've put your tag on the animal. Now what? So joining us now, it's my pleasure to welcome an authority on all things wild game and cooking, the hunter, angler, gardener, chef himself, renowned author, and our good friend, Hank Shaw. <laughs> welcome back to the show, man. Thanks for having me on. You betcha. Well, so before we uh, before we get into today's topic of discussion, uh, tell us what you've been up to of late. I know uh, you did a little mallard hunting. Uh, where did you go for that? I went all the way up to eastern Washington, which for me is a 12-hour drive almost due north. Oh, wow. <laughs> Good hunt? Yeah, yeah. We got uh, we got limits both days, and uh, it's a trip that, we, that Holly and I will do uh, 
every year or sometimes sometimes we miss a year. But the the fact is we don't really see a lot of mallards where we hunt in Northern California. We're we got lots and lots of ducks, but mallards, you know, if we get two in a strap, it's usually a big deal and, and often we don't get any. So this is a chance to kind of focus on greenheads and uh it was cold but it was fun. Nice, nice. Awesome, yeah. You guys get a lot of pintails in California, huh? We that's our dominant duck and it's it's super depressing when they drop the limits to one pintail because yeah. I I kid you not. I have seen 5,000 pintails land in a, in a pond and I'd be like, great, I got one. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and they're all sort of chirping and peeping and having a good time. You could, you could stand there and look at them and that's fun, but you know, Ugh. they tend to push out a lot of the other ducks. So if, if, if a pintail blob lands in your area you and you get your one, you're like, okay, we're done. Yeah. Oh man. Yeah. That, that did suck for everyone. And that's a, you know, that's across every flyway. They lowered it to one, um, It'll be back to two next year, though. Yeah, it, it it should. Yes, for sure. Absolutely. They had a good uh, survey, uh, and it's all you know. It's all contingent on. I think we they lowered it based on like twenty thousand ducks too too few. So it's all, you know, it was right there. But yes, it'll definitely be back, which uh, which is great because I feel for you guys. I mean, when all you see is pintails and you can only shoot one, that makes for a a nice sunset. <laughs> and we kind of got a double. We kind of got a double whammy because if you if we go to the San Francisco Bay where I hunt a lot, uh, we're just covered up in bluebills, huh. just covered in them. And y'all can you shoot know? two and, out there. Oh yeah, and we get greaters and lessers, and you know our limit's three. So it's like okay. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, I hear you. I hear you. It's it's like uh, it's like our guys on the Texas coast, you know pintails and redheads migrate down there by the you know yeah. hundreds of thousands and you can shoot two redheads and a pintail and you know you're you're done yep <laughs> i have hunted matagorda bay many times yeah it's, it's you know i go to chase redheads. well uh well good deal let's talk uh let's talk about well everybody's favorite venison and it doesn't matter for me personally if it's a an elk a whitetail mule deer whatever uh pronghorn it's all venison and it's all delicious uh, but mm-hmm. what I want to get into is is aging this stuff. Uh, now Texas might be a little different animal because I mean Hank, yesterday I was in you know shorts and flip flops and t-shirt. It was like 85 degrees <laughs> outside. So I don't know if you can actually age your venison outside in Texas, but I figured we'd talk about it anyway because this is something that I'm I'm really fascinated by. You go to a steakhouse, you drop 100 bucks on a, a 45 day aged, you know. Uh, sirloin or filet uh what about venison though is it is it something that you do or or recommend you're talking about serious dry aging here not just sort of getting it ready to butcher Mm so uh, let's start with the either i live in similar situations so if i hunt in eight in our a zone in california it's the same temperatures that you guys are going through Uh it's hot you've got to have coolers and it's just it's it's a race as soon as the animal hits the ground so when when I do that, I just have marine coolers in the back of my car, and I will skin the animal, gut the animal, and get into big giant pieces, you know, quarters. Um, sometimes you just cut it in half, um, you know, or if you get a big enough cooler and a small enough deer, you just chuck it in the cooler. Now, where the rest of the country differs from Texas, Texas has this weird tradition of dunking whole deer in ice water which is the weirdest thing I've ever heard of in my life. Um, like, you guys need to understand that nobody else does this. Like, this is just a Texas thing. 
or somebody who does it outside of Texas picked it up in Texas. And, and so, so you're talking about once the animal's quartered, and I do this. I mean, I I throw it in a cooler and I just dump ice on it. Well, that's a little different. So what I hear a lot in Texas is people actively soaking their venison in ice water. Okay, yeah. Like blue, they call it and bleeding it. It, which is, it's not bleeding, but right. um, <laughs> it's it's basically ruining your venison to make it taste like nothing. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, the reason they do it is because it, you know, that as you hear them say, it'll take some blood out. Well, yeah, it does make the, the it's not taking blood out, but it, what it is doing is seeping flavors, <laughs> flavor really out of the, out of the venison. It turns into kind of a pale pink. I've seen it. Yeah. Yeah. And, it goes from that nice, rich red color to just kind of a meh kind of, pink yeah it's very it's just a terrible thing to do i mean it's and it's actually actively borderline unsafe so as long as you've got plenty of ice the water is under 40 degrees and you're fine but Mm -hmm. but it's for the most just bottom line if you if you're doing it right now you know i'm not going to tell you not to you'll never catch me doing it i just don't like it um but as long as you keep a lot of ice in that water it's safe Mm -hmm. but what most of us are talking about is what you just said is putting deer on ice just to cool it down and i always will have either plastic bags or burlap coffee sacks or something like that to separate the deer from the ice okay you know most i do not of us, do that but i'm going to start okay yeah i mean most of us i mean the, the trick is here is that water is your enemy um and i know this just flies in the face of what we just talked about but in in food safety butcher world water's your enemy until you are near a locker or a place to, to, to really cool your venison. So uh, just keep it cool, and you have to let it age 24 hours, ideally 48, before you start doing real serious butchery. Okay. Uh, and the reason is because you have to let the animal get to rigor. If you don't, even a little dough will be, will be tough. Mm-hmm. And it's a process called shortening, and it's irreversible. Yeah. The only thing you can do to fix it is to just cook the crap out of whatever it is that you're doing, and nobody wants to do it. We yeah. that. But you're not talking about like you can still debone the animal and not have this issue, right? If you debone the animal before it gets into rigor, you're fine. Okay. That's a process called hot boning, which is kind of hilarious. But mm-hmm. <laughs> so, so basically, like um, my uh, my dear lease in Oklahoma, uh, we don't mm-hmm. have running water, don't have electricity, so I've gotten into just basically like a backcountry elk hunt, just deboning it right there on the spot and then just putting it on ice. And then the trick is, and, and, and I think a lot of people, and here's how I think that, that uh, bleeding the animal or whatever, I think it started out of just laziness. You shot this deer and the next day, you know, you get back, let's just say you went for the weekend and, you know, you got a nine to five job the next, on Monday, you got to go to work. You're like, well, it's on ice. It's fine. And, and then like three days later, it's on ice. It's fine. And I did that one time when I was like, this, is not good venison. I did a yeah. disservice to this animal. Never did it again. So the trick is for me is, you know, uh, get the water out of there and then whatever you're going to do with it uh, from that point, whether you're taking it to the processor or whatever, just, you know, like you said, keep the water off of the meat. Right. So now let's talk about actual dry aging. Cause this is what you wanted. This is, this is what you're talking about. Yeah. So if you actually want to dry age, and I have it, uh, uh, everything we talk about, is um, I have it written down in detail in my venison cookbook. Uh-huh. So if you, well, if you tell the name of your cookbook, Hank. If you don't tell, uh, if you don't take quick notes, uh, the book is called Buck Buck Moose, uh-huh. 
and it is uh, it is available wherever fine books are sold. <laughs> uh, <laughs> so, you know, Amazon or your local bookstore or wherever. But, yeah, all of what we're talking about is in this book. So dry aging, number one, you do not need to dry age anything that you are not going to cook medium rare or rare. Okay. That's number one. So can you dry age an entire animal? Sure. Why not? But it's a waste because the the flavor benefit that you're going to get out of a backstrap or a hind leg is you, you're not going to get the same flavor benefit out of a shoulder or a shank or a neck or ribs because you, you necessarily have to cook the heck out of those cuts. And it kind of cooks out that dry aged flavor. Mm-hmm. So it actually makes things easier, especially in a place like Texas where, you know, you're, you're probably going to dry age bits of a deer and not the whole deer because it's of just space, space uh, question. Uh-huh. So we're talking hind leg without the shank and we're talking backstrap. Now, the best way to do it, if you're going to dry age a backstrap, is to leave it on the bone. Okay. Is to basically, you remove the whole spine right in front of the hind legs, like right in front of the hips, and then you go all the way to the end of the backstrap. So you're cutting through the ribs, and then you're going to cut, you're basically going to cut a big long line out of the spine with all the backstraps on. Do not dry age tenderloins, by the way. Okay. The tenderloins will, they'll just dry up. You cook them fresh. Mm-hmm. Um, so this is only the backstrap, the loin, the ribeye, the, the the prime rib on a beef. It's, it's the same. It's the same cut. Okay. The reason why you want to keep it on the bone, if you can, is because the process of dry aging creates a, a pretty ferocious rind, uh, a gnarly bit of hardened, semi-moldy, um, you know, ick that you don't want to eat. It is always cut off before you before you actually eat the animal. So you'll see this in steakhouses. You know, if you ever saw a, a rack of ribeyes that have been dry aged for thirty or forty or fifty days, moldy. <laughs> oh, 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 you know. <laughs> Here's your one hundred fifty dollar moldy steak you just paid for. Right. Yeah, but it tastes. But then good, it but, cut off the yeah. rind. It was fantastic. <laughs> yeah. So, but but if you keep that bone on, um, you cut off less of your backstrap. Because the rind gets on the bone part and not on the meat part. Mm-hmm. Okay. okay. Um, so now how do you do it? Your temperature needs to be very close to freezing. So 33 to 38 degrees. Under no circumstances should it ever be above 40. Uh-huh. Um, and ideally, it has air circulation. So at the very least, if you're going to do it in a refrigerator... Uh, you, you have to have a very um, uh, understanding family because there's going to be a giant piece of moldy meat sitting in the refrigerator for a month. Right. Uh, so at the very least, put it on a rack. I think this goes in the beer that, fridge outside, probably. Exactly. That's what I do. I do the exact same thing. I put My wife never looks sometimes, like <laughs> sometimes I will hang that hind leg. So you know how you have a knob, you know, the ball and socket joint on uh-huh. top of the hind leg? That is a perfect place to tie a rope to and hang it from the top rack of the beer fridge. So it gets perfectly good air, air recirculation. And you know what else is awesome about the beer fridge? You're supposed to say what? Oh, yeah. Sorry, Hank. Yeah, what? <laughs> the beer? <laughs> yes. Because you're reaching in there to grab a beer all the time, 
you're opening and shutting the door all the time. And what that does is that creates air circulation. It uh, prevents you from really, as long as you're a good beer drinker. As if I needed more motivation to, to grab another beer. Precisely. <laughs> so, so basically you have this stuff just hanging out in a very cold environment with a little bit of air circulation. It needs to be reasonably humid. So a refrigerator tends to be a dry environment. So I will always, always put a little pan of, of salt water. Into the uh, into the fridge environment to keep things a little bit moister. Okay. The reason is because if you if you let it dry too much, you get a really horrific rind on the outside, and it does not allow moisture to escape. It's called case hardening. And what that can do is, if the moisture has no way to get out, it will rot on the bone. So yeah, this is a horrible thing that can happen with, with cured meats, but it happens with dry aging too. So you need a humid environment. Um, what I, my beer fridge also doubles as a salami fridge. So I actually have a humidifier hooked up to the temperature regulator. So I can, I can control both humidity and temperature in my beer fridge, Mm -hmm. but you don't have to necessarily do that. You just have to have a pan of water that always has water in it. And that will keep things moist enough. Uh So the filing is, well, how long? Every study that's ever been done on dry aging beef, and this is where all the studies are with beef, is that it requires at least two weeks. You'll get more, the the meat will be more tender in less than two weeks, but if you want that dry aged flavor, Mm -hmm. it doesn't even start to to show up until two weeks. Most tasting panels that they've ever done, most humans prefer three-week-old to four-week-old dry aged beef. Once you get pushing four weeks, five weeks, or more, the meat changes radically. It's still edible, you know, and it's still interesting, but it has a kind of a blue cheesy funk to it that you really have to like. And I like I, blue cheese. I sometimes get it and put it on my steak or venison. So. You know, I mean, I do too, um, but I prefer it as blue cheese, not necessarily as the meat. <laughs> <laughs> I think I could follow that, yeah, for sure. And then obviously you have to cut it. Um, you have to cut the rind off and, and then go from there. Uh huh. Uh huh. Okay. Um, so that's how you do it, and, and basically in the same type of climate that we experience here in, in most of Texas. Um, what about as far as like? And I know you said thirty-three to thirty-eight degrees is is ideal. What if it freezes? Yeah. Like so, last year went on this hunt in West Texas, and it was in the thirties for you know three straight days. Temperatures in, at night were in the twenties. And I shot a, a white tail the first day, and I just hung it, skin on, the whole nine yards, just left it there, just gutted, you know, uh, field dressed, and, and then went mule deer hunting, and, and I let it hang there for two days and never even thought about it. I mean, there weren't any bugs. It wasn't, you know, wasn't hot outside. It was basically below fr- at freezing or, or uh, you know, in the 30s. Um, and then I shot a mule deer and did the same thing for another day. Is Was mm-hmm. that a mistake, or it doesn't really matter? Um, it's not necessarily a mistake. Now it would be a mistake if you, if you shot it and hung it and it was like 10 below. Sure. Um, but if it's right around freezing or a little bit below, the meat itself is not really going to freeze. Uh-huh. Uh, I mean, it takes a while to freeze, you know, uh, imagine how thick a hind leg of a muley is. It takes a while to freeze that at, at freezing. You know, the outside might get a touch crispy, but it won't really get that crispy mm-hmm. um and you do have to worry about the meat 
actually freezing and you just can't get that cold in Texas. Yeah. Yeah. No, that was like, bitter, that's, that's that was bitter cold for us. And it, and it wasn't like, you know, the deer wasn't like frozen stiff. So yeah, that's a, that's a Minnesota, Canada problem, a Montana problem. It's not really a Texas or a California problem. Uh-huh. Now here's another thing you bring that, you bring up freezing those and freezing. This is a kind of an important tip that I had. I learned when I was doing research for the cookbook, you can dry age thawed meat. So you can't do it on both ends, you, but you can freeze a big old hunk of meat, and obviously it's got to be a big old hunk of meat because it's you know you're going to get that rind and you have some trim, and then thaw it out and then dry age it, or you can dry age it and then freeze it. Huh. Okay. Yeah, that's a that's a trippy thing that I, I didn't know that. I learned that it's a butcher's trick. Yeah. Um, we should probably talk about wet aging too because a lot of people do that and without even thinking about it. And this is what your supermarket meat is wet aged. Okay. Well, hey, let's so, do that. But first let's just work in a, a quick break. So you're cool to stick around for a few more minutes. Yeah, absolutely. Perfect. And that segment, by the way, brought to you by my beer fridge, soon to be my dry aging fridge as well, which is full of Lone Star beer, the national beer of Texas available again this hunting season in their patented camo can grab a 12 pack on your way to the deer lease. And remember, to celebrate knocking down that big 10 point with an ice cold Lone Star beer. Lone Star beer, the national beer of Texas. We'll keep the venison discussion rolling with our good buddy Hank Shaw after the break right here on the Lone Star Outdoor Show. Cable Smith here for Deerview Windows. As a whitetail hunter, nothing is more frustrating than poor visibility in a deer blind. It can flat ruin a hunt. At Deerview Window Company, they manufacture windows solely for the use in deer stand and deer blinds. All of their windows and doors can be custom made to fit your specific openings. Or you can select from standard sizes, from hinged windows to sliding windows and everything in between. Visit DeerviewWindows.com to determine which style window is best for your deer blind. Plus, you'll get a free quote. Deerview Windows, where visibility matters. Howdy friends, Cable Smith here, and many of you have seen my pictures throughout the last hunting season of my custom 7 mag. That rifle was built by Horizon Firearms. Horizon Firearms is a custom rifle builder here in Texas, located in College Station, and they specialize in extremely accurate custom rifles designed exactly the way you want them. Give them a call at 979-229-4664 or check them out at horizonfirearms.com. Mistakes, I swear I should have known better. Half of my mistakes were just lost friends. You get a little distance. Cable Smith, welcome everybody back to the Lone Star Outdoor Show, powered by Dallas Safari Club. Radney Foster, half of my mistakes. Uh, thank you, thank you, thank you for being here today. It is great to be talking outdoors with you. And uh do want to say thanks to our presenting sponsors as well, though. Lone Star Beer and Hoff Power Polaris. As we are talking venison, the do's and don'ts, what to do with it after you've got that animal on the ground. Uh, people say, oh, venison tastes gamey. I don't really like it. That is hogwash. It's the best thing that you can put in your mouth. 
Uh, I'm not kidding. It really is. But it's all about how you take care of it. And we're discussing that with our friend and uh, wild game chef uh, extraordinaire, Hank Shaw. But before we get back into that conversation, this segment of the show is proudly brought to you by Lone Star Ag Credit. You know, land is the thing that they're not making any more of. But everybody wants a piece of it. So Lone Star Ag Credit has been helping folks finance their piece of Texas for over 100 years. They'll do the same for you. Whether you're looking for a hunting property, recreational property, uh, cattle ranching, or just a weekend getaway, whatever it is, Lone Star Ag Credit will help you out. And you can find them at LoneStarAgCredit.com. Okay, well, uh, let's get back into it here with Hank. Uh, Before the break, we talked dry aging, um, how to properly do that. Also, things not to do with your venison once you've got it on the ground. Uh, A lot of folks like to, quote, bleed their venison by leaving it in a cooler of ice water uh, for, you know, sometimes a full week. Big no-no. Do not do that. According to Hank, and I do agree 100% that that is sacrilege, (laughs) so don't do that. Uh, But Hank, let's go ahead and talk wet aging now, Uh, something that is fascinating, but uh, also maybe a little bit easier to accomplish than dry aging your meat. Sure. So wet aging is is something that you definitely can do in any circumstances. And it's a good half measure. It will never give you the the depth of flavor or the interest um, that dry aging will, but nor does it create a rind and nor does it result in a lot of, uh, of, of loss. So if you have a vacuum sealer, and if you're listening to this and you hunt deer, you probably should have a vacuum sealer. What, Wet aging is is to take a cut of unfrozen meat, the never frozen meat, um, and this, this has to be done with never frozen meat, uh-huh. and you vacuum seal it, and you stick it in the fridge and forget about it for a week, 10 days even. And what that does is it will, it will lose moisture. Just as if you were to you know, stick the, you know, that dry aging that we just talked about, you kind of have to have a drip pan underneath what you're doing because it's going to lose moisture. Uh It's kind of a whole point of dry aging is moisture loss. And this happens whether the meat is in the air or encased in plastic. And in the case of it it being encased in plastic, it's going to be surrounded by this blood-looking soup by the end of your 7 to 10 days. And when you want to eat it, you take it out of the plastic bag, and then you pat it dry, and then you either freeze it for good, or then you eat it at that point. But but the, 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 why would you do this? The reason you do it is because that aging in the refrigerator for 7 to 10 days really makes meat much more tender. And this is important if you guys are shooting big bucks out there. If you, you know, the, the I've had amazing, you know, bull elk or trophy buck meat, but it's all been heavily aged. Mm-hmm. And the easiest way to do it is to wet age it. Um, but a dry aged, you know, 180 class deer is just as good as a young doe. It's actually it's actually better. But if you don't go through that aging process, you will be a sad puppy. I accidentally did this. Well, I mean, I just I shot a buck uh, well, last weekend in Oklahoma and took the back strap. I ha- I was thinking about this recipe and something I wanted to do and. I, uh, you know, Thanksgiving came and this, that, and the other, and, and I, I had it in the, you know, 
never been frozen, just in the refrigerator, uh, vacuum sealed, and and uh, just like you said. Uh, yes, but yes, yes, it is in that red bloody soup, and I'm kind of like maybe I should open that up and get that out of there. I don't know, but uh, uh, it's fine as long as you can leave it there for you know as long as you can deal with it soon. I wouldn't leave it there for three weeks. So you said seven to ten days is good, huh? Yeah. Okay. Yeah, that's. I mean, you can go longer, but you start to get into you know. I don't want to open it up and be like, what does that smell? You know, I mean, then. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I don't even think I've ever gone 10 days. But yeah, so that makes it much more tender, the wet aging. And you, you said, you, and the key was you can't freeze the meat first. So. Yeah. Um, it, you, people do sometimes. I and, mean, you know, it's not like it's. If you saw a piece of meat that's been vacuum sealed and it sits around for a few days, you're fine. But um, the process of freezing breaks the cell walls in meat. And so you get this massive water loss. This is why you don't want to refreeze unthaw, you know, you don't want to thaw and freeze and thaw and freeze meat because you get every single time you do this, uh, as, as we all know, ice is, ice is larger than water. So, you know, if you, if you, if you don't believe me, you fill up a mason jar full of water and put it in the, frig- in the freezer and watch it break. Um, and that's exactly what happens to cell walls in meat when you freeze it. And the slower something freezes, the larger the ice crystals are, which is why um, blast frozen seafood from Alaska, which is which is blast frozen on the boat, uh-huh. is actually superior to fresh seafood. Huh. Uh, you know, well, I mean, not that you caught yourself, but but like that you go to the supermarket for. Mm-hmm. So if you go to a supermarket and buy never frozen cod, for example, versus blast frozen thawed or cod that was caught on in you know frozen on the boat your blast frozen will be better hmm. because a blast freezer is 100 below zero and the ice crystals that form in that environment are tiny and but in your box freezer which gets to like 10 below max max the ice crystals are going to be bigger and then if you freeze it in a regular stand-up kitchen freezer which has a a, a low of like 10 plus 10 above the ice crystals will be even bigger. And so the large, you get more quality loss and more water loss, the slower something freezes, which is why if you've got a piece of, of, of whatever that you want to freeze, I create kind of like a pit in my box freezer. And most of us listening to this have box freezers. I create like a pit in my box freezer, put the new thing in there and cover it with other frozen things so it freezes very quickly. Mm-hmm. That's a little pro tip. Okay. Well, yeah, I did not know that the blast frozen was actually going to be better. It makes sense, though. So you've got this cod that sat on ice for a week on this boat. Yeah, it's fresh, whatever. It's never been frozen. But like you said, the blast frozen is like, boom, immediate. So that uh, makes sense. But never thought about that. Tell us, what what is the most exciting thing that you've made lately that maybe was a new dish that you know, you, you've experimented with? New dishes that I'm experimenting with. The kind well, of like, whoa, that's really damn good. Um, I've actually been messing around with uh, with a kind of a, a weird miso citrus marinade. Now, I mean, anybody who's read my stuff knows that I'm not like Mr. Marinade, right? Mm-hmm. Um, but this is an interesting because it's a kind of a half cure, half marinade because miso is salty, and it's and I mix you know, miso is a is a is a fermented soybean paste that that the Japanese use, but you it's so common now you can buy it in almost any supermarket and it's it's it comes in white and red and you know typically you think about that in terms of meat so you do you maybe put a, a white miso glaze on fish or on chicken or a, a red miso glaze on venison or duck mm-hmm. 
it's this miso paste, which smells interesting and tastes savory and salty and a little interesting, mixed with citrus. Uh, it's citrus season now. And a little soy sauce and a little, you know, ginger and a little garlic. And then you make this as a marinade. And what, because it's salty and because it's acidic, you can, you can put meat in it for days and days and days. Hmm. And because it preserves it. Mm-hmm. And in it, in it, the, the marinade gets into all the nooks and crannies of whatever piece of meat you've got. And I've done it with ducks and done it with, I'm doing it with steelhead as we speak. Um, and then you, you know, you wipe most of it off. And then you grill it or broil it or cook it in a pan. And that flavor is just really interesting. It's, so it's salty and it's a little sweet and it's very savory. And you get that head of citrus and ginger. And it's just this great, it's super easy. I mean, the, to make this marinade, it takes 30 seconds. And then it's a whole set of new flavors that I've not really done a lot with. And it's kind of, it's fascinating me right now. Interesting. Okay. Sounds tasty. I'll tell you what uh, the thing that I've cooked this uh, this season that's kind of blown me away, and it was uh, kind of just riffed off of your uh, uh, Portuguese elk shank or venison shank. Mm-hmm. And uh, and I told you, so I, I think we, we spoke back in mid-September, and I'd shot this elk and uh, played around with it the first time and said, but Hank, you know, I cooked it eight hours and uh, on whatever degrees in the oven and pretty much followed that. Uh, to a tea and and I was like and it was still chewy and and it was because I didn't cover it. Uh, yeah, 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 yeah. And so I tried it again. Brought how you know invited my buddies over for wild game feast for back then the Cowboys were still winning. Now we suck. Uh, but uh, yay! <laughs> but invited <laughs> but, my buddies but, over. You know, I was like, okay, this is gonna be venison shank take two. It's gonna be mind blowing and oh my god! I mean, there was it was it's the best thing I've eaten this fall. It was. Hands down, amazing. And then, of course, the bone marrow. I was like, okay, now you guys got to get this uh, this meat butter on some toast. This is the oh yeah yeah. <laughs> oh, and and a side note, I'm a Giants fan, so both we both suck this year. Oh yeah, well, and, and we they can, just we can Eli, so. against the hated Eagles. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Giants. How, you're from California. How are you, a Giants fan? I'm not. I live in California. I'm from New Jersey. Ah, okay. Well, yeah, I still Cowboys like have been our rivals forever. I still like you, Hank, so that's all right. <laughs> <laughs> well, hey, buddy, uh, if you want to plug the upcoming book, I know that that is uh, – I think it comes out this spring. Is that right? Yeah. So um, the next book is called Pheasant Quail Cottontail, uh-huh. and uh, as you might imagine, it's covering all the small games. So quail and rabbits and squirrels and all the upland game birds and, and even some of the fur bearers. And so that one is, it's, it's our biggest book to date. It's 366 pages where the, uh, or no, sorry, 336 pages where the venison book, Buck, Buck, Moose is only 300 pages. Mm-hmm. And it's a b- bazillion color photos and a ton of recipes, like 125 recipes for pretty much everything. And I am stoked to be able to say it's, it's going to come out kind of on a one-time basis at, at the, annual convention of pheasants forever in february nice uh, so nice. if you're interested in pheasants forever or quail forever and go to their annual deal uh, which is going to be in south dakota this year they you'll be able to get it there uh, but there, everybody else will be able to get it in mid to late march uh, and that's where that's going to be its official release date and uh, you can pre-order it on amazon.com as we speak awesome man awesome hey that did remind me I, and i had this written down i wanted to ask you about it but totally forgot 
uh, it was years and years ago, probably back when I started this this podcast, this show out, you know, uh, probably eight years ago, and had Ted Nugent on a couple times back in those days. And it was great because I just had to ask him one question, and then I never said anything again for the whole hour. Um, he just would go on a rant. But he did say something about aging. He does that. Do I? <laughs> he does that. Yeah, he does. He does. But uh, he said, he told me that he would age his geese and pheasant without gutting them, just hang them up. And like whether it was in a walk-in cooler or if it was cold enough outside, I think it was something he picked up, you know, because he's from Michigan. Um, but uh, but I don't know. Can you really can you really do that with an ungutted animal? Of course. Okay. But it has to be a, a small animal because there's a thing called thermal inertia, which is why if you don't get deer, they go sour because they're just too big. Hmm. Um, and in the small game world, you can't you can't hang a turkey ungutted. It's too big. Yeah. But you can hunt a, you can hang quail, you can hang rabbits, you can hang pheasants. You can't hang hares ungutted, um, like jackrabbits. They're just yeah. too big. Okay. So, um, actually, if you Google hanging pheasants, you will find a uh, my big art. It's, I come up first on Google, so there's no need. You'll find it. <laughs> <laughs> but there's a lot of science uh, involved because this is this has been done for millennia, and it, it works. So essentially, it's, it's the aging. Thing that fascinates me aging most, them, right? But, yeah, yeah. Yeah. So. so the thing that fascinates me most is that you dry, you know, you hang game birds way warmer than you than you can dry age big game animals. I'm not entirely sure why, hmm. um, and I think it's because you need enzymatic and that and to some extent bacterial action when you're aging poultry that you don't want when you are aging big game. Mm-hmm. But yeah, there's a whole big section in the book on it. Okay. Yeah, uh, our mutual friend Sean over at South Pond uh, Outdoors. Oh, yeah. He uh, we he met up with us in in Seymour, Texas last year. They he came down from Missouri, did a little hog hunting and duck hunting, and he brought down some snow goose that he, he had not gutted, and I think he shot like ten days before. And he was like, "Oh yeah, yeah, I've just been just aging these." And I was like, oh, "I don't know about that, Sean." <laughs> so anyway, I thought it was interesting. I needed wanted to wanted to pick your brain on that. Yep, we'll get into that more probably next year. Yeah, okay. Well, good stuff, Hank. I certainly appreciate it. Y'all check it out. Uh, it's uh, pheasant, quail, cottontail coming out uh, this spring. And, Hank, always enjoy visiting with you, man. And, and we need to get that quail hunt uh, on the books for uh, 2018. Absolutely. All right, brother. You take care. You too. Our good friend, Hank Shaw, probably my uh, biggest inspiration when it comes to wild game preparation anyway. Uh, he's got some incredible recipes in those cookbooks. Y'all check them out. Uh, that segment brought to you by Rustic Reminders Taxidermy. Y'all know I like to eat the meat and mount the horns. Uh, I like a good rack on the wall, and nobody does it better than Rustic Reminders. They're located in Marion and now have a second location in San Antonio, Texas. So Hank told you what to do with the meat. I'm telling you where to take the cape and horns. It's Rustic Reminders Taxidermy. And you can find them at gr8mounts.com. Up next, we'll get into those wintertime blues with trophy catfishing guide Zach Royce right here on the Lone Star Outdoor Show. Hey, y'all. Cable here for my good friends over at Outlaw Outfitters, this veteran-owned and operated outfit 
will put you on the ducks to say the least. I've been hunting with them for gosh four or five years now. They also do a deer, hog, and turkey as well. They have over 15,000 acres they hunt in Collin, Grayson, and Fannin counties. Whether you want to do a turnkey, you know, one morning waterfowl hunt or a complete weekend package with authentic Cajun cooking and lodging, it's all right there within an hour of the Metroplex, and you can find them at huntoutlaw.com. In the market for a compact track loader, then check out the Bobcat Advantage, where Bobcat track loaders squared off against other brands in a variety of tests and challenges. Whether you're looking for performance advantages, uptime protection, or quality design, Bobcat compact track loaders are the best-built machines in the industry. But don't take our word for it. Watch the videos at BobcatAdvantage.com or see Bobcat machines in person at Bobcat of Dallas and Louisville, Fort Worth, Cedar Hill, Longview, and now McKinney. Visit BobcatofDallas.com or call 469-586-0000. Hey, y'all. Chris Letzinger, online sales manager at Cinnamon Creek Ranch here, reminding you we're not your typical archery club. We're a -a one-of-a-kind archery facility with indoor and outdoor ranges, full pro shop, and six different 3D courses. Cinnamon Creek was designed by hunters for hunters. Located in Roanoke, Texas, we have over 200 3D targets to hone your archery skills. Call 817-439-8998 or visit us at cinnamoncreekranch.com to visit our new online store. That's cinnamoncreekranch.com. And then we put our lines down in the water and waited for the fish to bite. Yeah, we talked about God and talked about a living. There's times we would talk all night. Bo Phillips Band, Fishing with Grandpa, bringing us back on the Lone Star Outdoor Show, powered by Dallas Safari Club. I'm your host, Cable Smith. Thanks to Lone Star Beer and Hoff Power Polaris as well, our presenting sponsors. And thanks to you guys and gals for tuning in today. I appreciate each and every one of you. Hope that you're having the best fall ever as far as your hunting and fishing endeavors are concerned. Uh, I know it's been a good one for me. The animals taken are always uh, a nice bonus, but it's really the adventure and the friends and family that get to share those experiences along the way that really mean the most. Uh, With that being said, we're about to talk a little fishing with an old friend of the show, Uh, but before we do that, this segment of the program brought to you by John X Safaris. Y'all have probably seen the videos or at least some of the photos from my uh, seven or was it seven or eight day safari with John X last summer? I'm going back June 22nd through the 30th, taking six hunters. I've got two spots left. If you're interested, shoot me an email to Lone Star Outdoors Show at gmail.com because it truly was the hunt of a lifetime. Such a target rich environment. You go out one morning looking for kudu, next thing you know, you're on a herd of eland or blue wildebeest. I mean, you just never know. You really take what Africa gives you. Love for you to experience it with me. Bring the wife, kids, whatever. It's family-friendly. John X Safaris, and we are going June 22nd through the 30th. All right, uh, let's bring on our next guest. He, uh, I guess he joined us a couple years ago when he made national headlines after breaking the North Carolina state record for blue catfish, not once, but two times in a 24-hour period. How incredible is that? (laughs) And so joining us now to talk about those wintertime blues, it's my pleasure to welcome Zach Royce of Blues Brothers Charters back to the show. Yeah, man. Always a pleasure. 
Yeah. But I understand you're you're out on the water right now. <laughs> yeah, sure am. Uh, got six rods out uh, doing some trolling. I was anchoring earlier, um, but the wind picked up a little bit, so we're kind of doing some uh, wind power trolling. Right. Well, yeah, and I guess it's been about, gosh, what, when was that, Zach? Two years ago, 18 months ago, when you caught the uh, North Carolina state record blue cat? Yeah, it'll be two years um, in December, December 20th. I guess that's about when we had you on last, and uh, you were fishing with your dad. I think it was an all-night process before you could actually get someone to, to, you know, certify it that next day. And then you and your dad were like, well, hell, let's just go fishing again. <laughs> <laughs> that's it, man. Uh, the first one was 91 pounds, and got it certified. And, um, you know, right after getting it back in the water, he put lines out again in the same general area. Um, didn't get too far away from where we released that fish you know we were drifting again and, uh-huh. uh the, the big the next big one hit ended up being 105 so <laughs> uh, <laughs> it, it broke the record for the second time yeah uh, i think it's about 18 hours apart uh, from the first one when i caught the first one. that's just pure insanity so you break the state record go out you know not even a full day later and break it again and <laughs> yeah and, and like we said that was about almost two years ago now uh, have you come close to catching, uh, something bigger than 105 pounds since then? Yeah, I had that same, uh, well, the following year, uh, it was just February. So it was two months after I caught, um, that 105, uh, I had one that was exactly a hundred pounds and, um, you know, at, at the time, so that was, that was only five pounds. Uh, way or six pounds short of beating my other record uh-huh. um and then after that um it had been quite some time before i caught anything close to 100 pounds again but this past august um i think it was august 2nd i went out and i, I got one that was 102 pounds wow um, so that was that's my second biggest um fish that i've ever caught uh, blue cat fish i've ever caught 102 mm-hmm um it had had a few 70s and 80s here and there hell you caught it you told me uh, off there you caught an 83 already today yeah yeah that was that was one of my the biggest that i've reeled in um this year myself uh was that 83 um let's see i've had the 102 the 83 and i think several fish in this in the 70s uh-huh. uh, and then I've, I've had some clients catch uh 70s and 80s but I don't get to fish on my own time as much anymore. <laughs> well, no, I mean you're the you're the two time state record holder, so I'm sure business is good. People want to fish with you. Uh, they want to try to break your record. I'm sure. I bet that. Oh a, yeah. I bet that's a running joke on the boat, huh? <laughs> oh, it is. It is for sure. Uh, and I, you know, I I'd, I'd love to to see somebody, um, you know, go on a trip with me and and catch a record. Mm-hmm. Uh, I would I would rather see that than myself catch another one. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And you never know, though. It could happen, for sure. Yeah. Well, and, and you know, uh, we're a long way from North Carolina and Texas, but, uh, you know, we like our big blue cats as well. And and so I was going to ask you, what is your what is your favorite time of the year to target these monsters of the deep? Uh, definitely fall and winter. Uh-huh. Um, right now, it's, it's really starting to pick up. Um, let's see, Friday before last, I actually had a client catch one that was exactly 80 pounds. Um, so that's, you know, two 
80 plus pounders now um in the month of november which is really good yeah uh, you know for that, that size fish is not very common and what i know about blue cats actually fall and winter is when they move into the shallows really it well here anyway it's it's like you know late winter when they're up really shallow yeah late winter um you know here in north carolina it depends on well, I'm sure it's, it's like that everywhere, but the weather uh-huh. uh, that we get, to, some winters they'll pretty much stay deep all year for us. And I prefer it that way. I, I like to fish for the deeper fish uh-huh. um, when I can. They get a little more concentrated, um, you know, if they stack up in a, a river channel or a creek channel. Um, if they get up in the shallows, they can be a little more difficult to, to locate and they'll move more on you. Um, right now, they're really running pretty heavily on the channel, which is one of my favorite patterns to fish. Mm-hmm. And uh, the water temperature is still in the upper 50s. I think it's uh, 57 right now. And uh, it'll it'll pretty much stay on this pattern until it gets down um, into the upper 40s, right around 50. And then what will happen is if you get a warm front um, or, or some really bright sunny days, they will move from the deep to the shallow back and forth on it hmm. uh, pretty quick. I mean, they might be deep the first half of the day, and then the shallows warm up a few degrees and everything heads shallow. And, and what? tell us again what lake you predominantly fish there. Mostly uh, Gaston, Lake Gaston. And so are they feeding uh, on shad this time of year? When they're, or what, what is their main food source right now? Yeah, preferably, um, you know, shad is the main the main bait and mainly what they're eating uh-huh. um, right now they will eat you know a bluegill or a white perch or just about any fresh cut bait um, that you put in front of them but they definitely are more keyed in on the shad right now okay and so is that when you're when you're sitting out there drifting you know like you are today are you using cut bait or what is your go-to bait of choice yeah i, I mostly just use cut bait um Live bait, sometimes I'll put out in the summer, but uh, fall, winter, and spring, pretty much all cut bait. And I'll I'll do different, you know, types of cut bait, too, not just, uh, you know, all chunks. I'll, I'll do some fillets, um, and I use different parts of the shad. Some days, and, and I haven't figured out why this is, but it seems like every fish in the lake wants the same piece of, of cut bait. They, you know, they might want a head one day. Then the next you go out, they won't touch the head. All they want is a kill. Hmm um or mid you know a gut section uh, but it, it changes a lot and, and i don't know why that is uh, as far as that goes but well that's part of being a fisherman is you got to just figure it out on the fly so, that's it yep yeah. <laughs> um you know if it was called catching i don't know i think everybody could do it but uh that's not the reality uh, you know <laughs> it's uh yeah the catching uh, days are fun man but they're for a lot of people they're few and far between yeah, and it, it's uh, it's all trial and error. Um, I've been fishing Gaston now for, let's see, 15, close to 16 years. Um, I started coming out here with my dad when I was a kid. And it, the things that I learned on a daily basis, I mean, it, it blows my mind, uh, you know, that you just never, you, you never can learn too much, um, no matter how much you fish a body of water. You know, I'm out here pretty much every day throughout the year you know, five six seven days a week and um i can honestly say every day is something new <laughs> yeah yeah 
Well, so so talk a little bit about your your rig. So if you're targeting these monster blues, um, you got to have some some pretty heavy duty tackle. Walk us through, you know, what uh, uh, what what pound line, what kind of line you're using, and then uh, your hooks, because I'm sure they've got to be pretty sturdy as well. Yeah, the hooks, um, you know, that that's definitely a big concern uh, with the the rod reels and, and line. Uh, I don't, I don't like to overkill it. You know, I want to, I want to have some sport. You know, and I want to be able to fight the fish and not uh-huh. just winter men. Um, being that, you know, being on the open water out on the lake is it's a little different than if I was fishing, you know, in a river for flatheads or something where I needed to really pull them out of uh, heavy structure all the time. Um, so I use thirty pound monofilament line, uh-huh. um, which is not, you know, not too crazy. Yeah. Um, compared to what a lot of guys do. And I do 6,500 reels, which are not, you know, giant reels by any means. Um, the rods, I use medium and medium-heavy uh, Big Cat Fever rods, which are, uh, you know, they're not pool stick action rods um, like some I've used where uh, a 30-pound fish doesn't bend them over. <laughs> <laughs> you know, they, they'll, they'll flex pretty good with a 10- or 15-pounder. And uh, that's what I, I like to really feel the fight. Um, you know, and I want to give the fish a chance too. Yeah. I don't, <laughs> I don't want to, I don't want to just, um, rip his face you know, off and there he is right at the boat. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, that's part of the, that's why, uh, uh, I know you guys have some, some decent speckled trout fishing off the coast of North Carolina. We obviously have great trout fishing off the coast of Texas and, and that's why we like to use light tackle on those as well, you know, cause, uh, it makes it a lot more sporting. That's for sure. That's that's right. Yeah, it's it's the same way, man. Uh, you know, anything I fish for, I try to try to use the lightest tackle I can get away with, um, without just being, you know, just completely careless. <laughs> right. <laughs> you know, right. I'm, not, yeah. I'm not gonna come out with a, you know, an ultra light and try to catch a hundred pound catfish. But yeah, that makes it more fun. I mean, it's, that's right. I, I imagine you're using a circle hook. But, uh, what odd are you are you using on a regular basis? I use uh, seven, eight, and nine alt. Uh, the nine alt is primarily what I use, and you know if I'm using, which I, I always have a mix of bait out as far as the size of the bait goes, and um, I'll usually have two or three rods um, with a seven or eight alt, just a slightly smaller um, hook, you know, and a smaller piece of bait. And some sometimes the biggest fish um, of the day will come off that. You know, or multiple big fish will come off that small bait. Hmm. Um, so that's another thing. I always, I always mix it up. Yeah. Um, yeah, I try to match, you know, the size of the hook, of course, to what size bait I'm using. I don't want a small, you know, uh, quarter-size piece of cut bait on a 9 alt hook. Um, there's nothing but hook, man. <laughs> yeah, right, right. And do you use any leader? Yeah, the leader, uh, typically 60 pounds on the leader. Um, I could really get away with less, um, but, you know, just the, mainly the fact I'm drift fishing, I'm always going over snags, uh-huh. um, and it's, I'm not so much worried about the, you know, the fish, you know, breaking the leader off as much as I am just going through those snags and then getting a, a nick in it, and, um, you know, and, and the fish just grabbing it and, and cutting through it as soon as I get a hook in it. Right, right. Yeah, we uh we run into that when we're we're drifting sometimes with Alabama rigs after striper on uh on Lake Texoma, which I'm pretty sure is still where the Texas record blue cat came out of. 
But yeah, the, I mean, you get snagged on one of those you know, any kind of structure, and it's boom, there went a twenty dollar A rig, you know. <laughs> oh yeah, oh yeah. If you can prevent, um, you know, losing a few hooks. Yeah. <laughs> definitely a good thing. Yeah, yeah. Well, Zach, always great talking fishing with you, brother. Uh, it's uh, like I said, two years ago we found out about that story and was like, man, we gotta. We got to get Zach on the air. That's one hell of a deal, and and been following your Instagram and all these big blues you've been pulling over the rail since then. So thought it was time to check in and and uh, talk some catfishing. So we certainly appreciate it. Yeah, man, it was, uh, great talking to you. And uh, you know, any any time you want to talk catfishing, I'm here. <laughs> oh hell, I might just have to come up there and book a trip with you someday. Oh yeah, that'd be even better. Yeah, and it's uh it's Blues Brothers Charters. What's the website? The website is uh, bluesbrotherscharters.com. Okay, and then you've got Instagram, Facebook, I imagine, as well. Yep, that's right, and and all of it's um, Blues Brothers Charters uh, for the Facebook and Instagram and everything. Right on, brother. Well, hey, thanks again, Zach. Take care. We'll talk to you soon. So there he goes, North Carolina State record holder, two times over for Big Blue Cats, Zach Royce of Blues Brothers Charters. If you seriously want to see some of these fish that this guy catches, I mean, just check out his Instagram page. It's uh, Zach Royce, and they are just some absolute monsters of the deep. Uh, Impressive stuff. That segment brought to you by, speaking of fishing, the All Seasons Dam Fish Feeder. If you want to grow some monster bass or catfish, uh, crappie, whatever is in your pond or lake, then check out the All Seasons Dam Fish Feeder, and you can find it at allseasonsfeeders.com. Well, just looking at my watch here, unfortunately, it's that time. We've got to go, got to get out of here. I uh, do want to say thanks to all of our guests, of course, Zach, also our good buddy and wild game chef extraordinaire, Hank Shaw, and then Texas Parks and Wildlife Whitetail Deer Program Leader, Alan Kane. Uh, thanks for their contributions, and thanks to you, the listener, uh, for being a part of today's broadcast. Also want to say thanks to our sponsors, we wouldn't be here without their support. Until next time, I'm Cable Smith saying, wear that safety harness and have a great week in the outdoors. It'll be something to see. Oh, yeah. It'll be something.